you feel like sometimes you might have like what's important to you is must be is important to everybody, right? But it right. really isn't. And everybody has sort of like a different like take on it. And now, coming to you from the K2 Studios in San Diego, California, it's the world famous Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening, everybody? How are you guys doing today? I am Chris. And I'm Christine, and welcome to episode 47 of the Chris and Christine Show. Yes, number 47. We're coming up close to that big 5-0. Yeah, we are. We're rounding out, getting close to the one-year mark, too, Chris. That's right. Our big one-year episode's coming up. We got to figure out what we're going to do for that. Our one-year anniversary podcast anniversary. We've been podcasting for almost a full year. I know, which means that we're getting really close to have been, been engaged for a full year already. Well, that's probably typically the normal range for engagements, I would think. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it feels pretty good for us. We're just kind of like getting in our groove finally, right? And the year 2020 has been a fantastic year so far. Oh, wait, I just woke up. (laughs) It keeps throwing us curveballs, right, Chris? Oh, gosh. Yet another one was thrown to us just the other day. What was that? As we were on our way back from vacation. Well, please explain. Well, we got an email from our wedding venue, our wedding chapel, informing us that due to COVID, that there was going to be a decreased allotment of guests that were allowed into the chapel for our wedding, which means we now are faced with cutting our guest list in half. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, people, (laughs) because we did not plan this whole COVID-19 thing. It was not our fault. I promise you. So the state of Hawaii has, again, also expanded their um, social distancing. Right. Not only did they do that like they're doing here, but they also have cut back on the, uh, well, actually they extended the uh, quarantine for 14 day quarantine mandatory for everybody flying into the islands. Until September 1st, then they're going to lift it and they're going to put in place a rapid testing protocol. So you'd have to have a negative COVID test within 72 hours before departure. But you can have that test anywhere. You don't have to have the test there in Hawaii, right? You can't have it in Hawaii. You have to have it done before you take off. So they're going to be working out a partnership with, I believe it's CVS Pharmacy. They haven't worked out all the details. That's why they delayed the travel uh, travel ban or the travel restrictions being lifted because they haven't been able to get all the details in. They needed another month for it. Well, um, so hopefully by the time we go in November, they got all the bugs worked out and they got the kinks worked out and hopefully we can go that being said he said the chapel itself is actually uh making the the guest list a lot smaller so we can't have a full house with right. like 50 people or something well next. so the chapel fit 50 seated 80 including standing room and you were allowed to have up to 80 and so we were going to make a full list and so we have 90 plus people on our on our list and of them like 35 have already purchased tickets and accommodations and are ready to go. But, you know, Chris and I, we were going back and forth after the, the bathroom fiasco from a couple of weeks ago. And then it's turning into a full bathroom renovation. We were like, well, we have wedding funds set aside, wedding budget funds set aside, but we're going to have to dip into that. So that plus social distancing, we decided we needed to scale back on our wedding reception and we were going to go with a different plan. But now we've basically cut the reception altogether, right, Chris? Yeah, the reception we were going to have at this restaurant, not actually, it was going to be reserved a section of the restaurant, I believe, right? We were yeah, they have- were closing most of the restaurant down because they're, for their receptions, they're as pricey as they are in San Diego for like a full reception. And we didn't want that, right? So so we were in Hawaii, the group of people that were in Hawaii with us to go to our actual wedding at the chapel, we were going to have, there's a restaurant nearby. I think it's on the same property. Yeah, same property, same just resort, on the water. Uh, on like the beachfront side. And they had a big uh, second story restaurant, I believe, overlooking the water with fireworks when it went off at, at, on Fridays, I think. And so we were going to have it there. We talked to them. We reserved a section of the restaurant, reserved the whole thing, put money down too. Right. And um, that was a plan to have moved the party over to like more like a dinner, casual dinner, Hawaii, um, fancy restaurant kind of a thing. Right. And so then we started to rethink and we were like, well, social distancing requirements are going to be in play. 
So instead of doing a reception, what we were thinking is that there was this um, beachside shrimp truck. You know, in Hawaii, they're famous for their food trucks and like their they shrimp trucks. They are fantastic. Yeah, the their shrimp trucks, their shaved ice trucks. And there was one that we loved when we went that was right there on property. And we thought, well, maybe we'll contract with them. And, you know, we know that there's a couple people with food allergies, but for the vast majority, we can all order something simple and scaled back and then do like a picnic on the beach and socially distance. But we haven't heard back from the owners of the food truck because we think that they're closed up shop right now. Who knows? Yeah, it's true. Huh? Yeah. Who knows if they're going to go back into business? You know, this COVID is really ruining my plans. I know. So, you know, we are committed to getting married in Hawaii and we know it's going to be small. Um, I wouldn't say it's to the level of an elopement, but we're getting pretty close to that. But we are going to have our immediate family um, and then a couple of very, very close friends. Right. Anybody who's bought a ticket right now. So we have to start whittling down who has not purchased a ticket yet. We probably have to say, hold off on that. I'm sorry. Blame COVID. Don't blame me. It's not my fault this time. Exactly. But we had already discussed that we wanted to maybe in the spring of 2021, like after COVID and flu season pass, having like an open house get together here at the house where everybody gets to meet Chris or potentially at my parents' house up in Central California because a lot of my extended family, you know, I'm from a Mexican background. We have a very big family. And that's why the list, like we were looking at the list and Chris was like, oh my gosh, there's like almost 100 people on here. Well, only like 15 or 20 of them were friends. You know, that's why I actually picked Hawaii in the first place. Because <laughs> I know when you pick a far dis- distant wedding, uh, destination wedding, that most people probably can't make it out there. So kind of by nature of itself, it whittles the list down. Right. The hard thing, though, is like, well, thankfully, we'd already gone scaled back. Like we weren't going really big with like centerpieces for the wedding or anything like that. We were keeping it very simple. But we had just decided to splurge and pay for a wedding cake, a small wedding cake. So what we'll do is, you know, I'm thinking, Chris, and I'm just throwing this out there. I haven't talked to you about this before. Do you remember at the bottom of that hotel tower where we stayed, how there was a bar right there? Oh, yeah, that's right. It's right next to the wedding chapel. And I'm thinking maybe we can contact the hotel because it's an outdoors and people can distance. Maybe we just do like a cocktail hour and cake. Well, yeah, it sounds great. But the problem is, is that we really don't know what they're okay with, right. what's, what's even open. Well, they're not if, open right now. If you can recall, we were just in Vegas just the other day. Ugh. And there, most of the places were closed. It, by it was the, eerie. It was the weirdest, most craziest, weirdest, uncomfortable Vegas trip I've ever been on in my entire life. Right? It was like the total opposite of what Vegas normally is. I mean, we, we were able to make the most of it um, and, you know, great, grateful that my best friend joined us. And we'll talk more about that on th- our next episode. But it was it was hard to even just find food options for us that were family friendly. Right. Because a lot of places were closed and a lot. I mean, all the bars were closed, of course. Um, the casinos were open. A few of them were. Well, I think some were closed. But, but all the quick grab restaurants, anything yeah. that was family friendly. I mean, it was a real stretch for us to find any place for our family of five to have a basic meal for under a hundred dollars. Oh yeah, totally. And then and then also, if you're gambling, I didn't see any of the casino tables even open. Right. Like none of them were open. Exactly. It was weird. It was really eerie. Gosh. But we're going to talk more about that on a later episode. And you know what we did do is we had our very first family vacation. And that's something, you know, we've gone like two days to Disneyland or things like this, but this was our very first extended family vacation. And it allowed us to learn a lot about each other and a lot about how we function as a family unit. And that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about with our special guest today, who's going to help us learn about building your own unique family culture. And she's going to be right on with us after this. Hey there, K2 crew. We love having you as our loyal listeners. To keep up to date with what's happening behind the scenes, check us out on social media. Yeah, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to follow our Facebook page. Yeah, tag us in your favorite fun stories. And guess what? You might just end up on the show. And welcome back, everybody. And today, our very special VIP guest happens to be another podcaster, a self-help coach, and uh, she does a podcast with her husband. Please welcome to the show, Kimberly Amici. 
Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. We're super excited that you were able to join the Chris and Christine show. So thanks for being here. Thank you. And where in the world are you joining us from, Kimberly? So I live in New Jersey. Ooh. So um, yeah, it, it's <laughs> it's a hot one today. Um, it's fantastic. We, we've lived here probably for about 17 years. We were in New York City previous to that. So Ooh. we did the whole like living the big city life, got pregnant, moved to the burbs. And yeah, we've been here ever since. Were you in like, what part of the what boroughs were you in? So we lived in Manhattan and we were in um, sort of like the Midtown areas, actually just south of Midtown in the 30s. So they call it Murray Hill. Murray Hill, huh? Yeah. I love New York City. I've been several times and I always wondered what life was like living in the big city. Let us know. What was that like? So it was fun. There's like such an energy that it constantly that you constantly experience when you live in a big city like that. Um, I moved there. I was dating my husband. We were dating long distance. We had met when I was coming. I came up to visit. Um, I was coming up for like a design conference. My background background is in design and architecture, oh, wow. and I came up to meet him. I came up for work and of course I met him. He was a friend of a friend out at a bar, you know, got to know each other a couple months later, kept in touch, saw each other again when I came back to visit. And so we started this long distance relationship. And when I moved, it was very exciting, but I didn't, we hadn't really quite dated a year. And I had some people joke around with me, like, you should really date somebody a full year before you move to their location. You need to know what the weather is like all the time. Because are you sure you want to move there? Because I moved there from Atlanta and I was like, oh my gosh, this is cold. I mean, I grew up in the North. Yeah, what's snow like? You see snow for the first time, huh? Well, no, I grew up in the North. But I had spent time down there. And then when you, you, when you move to a city, there, you have to walk everywhere. Like right. even if you're on the subway, the subway's cold. And you have oh, to get to like? the subway. Well, it's like it's, it's freezing in the winter and you, there's these wind tunnels. And like you're just like putting your head down, trying to get to the subway, trying to get to work. And then, I mean, it's not all horrible, but it was like, oh, my gosh, I, I didn't realize it would be like this. And then, you know, when you're doing your Christmas shopping, it's like you're on the subway with all these bags. Oh, it's gosh. cold. It's just it's like a different sort of life. Right. You know, everything's on foot, even grocery shopping. We, you know, I mean, now you can do delivery. But when we lived there, it was like all about getting a shopping cart that you could drag behind you and load up yeah i mean like it was you, know, you had to adjust there's a lot of adjustment and so when we moved to the burbs it was kind of like the burbs oh, <laughs> oh. right like i didn't have to wear my heavy heavy coat i could just throw something on real quick to pop into the grocery store just pop in my car pop in the grocery store i didn't have to like walk 10 blocks to get somewhere um and that's so, so it, cool it was so fun to live in the city but like as you got older and that the thought of having kids you're kind of like mm, yeah this is gonna get a little harder. <laughs> yeah, I remember visiting New York City one time during the winter and I was used to California cold, nowhere mm-hmm. near New York cold. And so mm-hmm. I had like a light jacket and I walked yeah. out of, um, I think it was uh, the LaGuardia airport uh-huh. and I stepped one foot out on the concrete <laughs> and I was like, there was men, like there was um, vendors right there and they had like jack or not jackets, like scarves yeah. and gloves. I was like, Yes, please. Did it, did, it say, oh, yeah. uh, Cal- did it say California travelers, please shop here? <laughs> no, it was so cold. And then that um, on that trip, a couple days into it, there was a blizzard that came in and it like coated the city in five inches of snow. And I was like, what is happening? Oh, I don't yeah. even know how to prepare for this. So. Yeah, and then it's beautiful for, for like an afternoon. And then the next day it turns to slush because it's the city. So it's beautiful when it first snows. But then the day after, because there's so much traffic and so many cars in the city, like it turns it turns black and dark real fast. And so you have, you know, the beautiful snow someday, but then you have the reality of like the traffic and the people and the slush. And and so it's quite an adventure. Yeah, definitely. Well, so you moved out into the suburbs into New Jersey area. Now, Mm -hmm. I'm not really familiar with the geography of New Jersey. So like what area? It's New York. It's like right across the river or something, right? Well, but it's a state. So like what area of New Jersey do you live in? We're about 12 miles outside the city. So my husband currently commutes into the city, not during obviously COVID. But um, so it's about like 
you know, if I were to pop in the car, it's about 20 minutes from here to the to the tunnel, which would get me into the city. And then once you get in the city, it's a different story, but depending on like the time of day, how long it takes you to get places. Right. So we're pretty close. It's easy for me to pop in um, and meet my, like take the train and meet my husband after work for dinner. Um, for a long time, we had our pediatrician there because we loved her. Uh, it, so it's, it's very, very close. We live very close to the city and most of the people in our town commute. Um, it doesn't feel like a different state because- like so, close. so many people work there. It's so close. Yeah. So it's, it, it's definitely like fun to go into the city. And even where I live, if you go down one, one or two of the side streets, you'll see views of the city. You'll, oh, that's you can amazing. See the city from here. Yeah. That's great. Now I have a question, uh, real estate wise, the, uh, prices to live in New Jersey are probably much cheaper than Manhattan. I would assume. They are cheaper. You get way, I mean, you get way more for your money. Um, so is that we, why a lot of people do that? They'll, they'll live in New Jersey, then they'll, they'll work in Manhattan or New York City, I guess? Yeah. I mean, we sold our one-bedroom apartment um, 17 years ago and bought a home for the same price. So what? It, oh, yeah. Bought, yeah. Like a three-bedroom three home with a basement, first floor, second floor with three bedrooms, and then a third floor, like, livable space. So- that gives you a little bit of an idea. Wow. Um, yeah. Incredible. So, and then you get a backyard, then you get a driveway and a garage and, you know. Right. Well, we feel like that's a similar story, maybe not to that same magnitude, but we live in the burbs of San Diego. And so mm-hmm. downtown San Diego is really shot up in terms of gentrification and a lot of yeah. um, like young tech industry are moving into downtown and you can buy a studio condo right in little Italy and it's, yeah. you know, going to run you $3,500, $4,000 a month for a studio. You can buy yeah. a house uh, 15 minutes yeah. outside of town. It's that's crazy. palatial for that price, but we, yeah, it's we, just the way it goes. Right. You know? Yeah. We empathize with that, but the whole purpose was for moving to the burbs was to have a family. So tell us a little bit about your family background. Yeah. So, um, so my husband and I, we have three children right now. Um, we have, uh, they're 13, 15 and 17. So we are, um, knee deep in the teen years, but Ooh. I have to tell you, I am loving it. I really am enjoying really? my kids. Yeah. Really? It's so fun. <laughs> You're like, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a 15 year old boy and I do love this age. Now, you know, it's definitely something that poses different challenges. I yeah. like more of the age where you get to carry him everywhere and like, <laughs> and like swing him around. Like it's going to swing set. You're pushing him. I, I like that age, you know, yeah. with a little buddy. Well, you know what? I, I definitely have chosen to take the perspective of like, I'm getting a front row seat to seeing them become an adult right now, oh, more, yeah. now more than ever before. And they're making mistakes 100%. They're doing things I not a hundred percent thrilled with, but, but I'm there to guide them, to coach them, to come alongside them. And that to me is fun instead of trying to control them and make sure that they never make a mistake or make sure that they never embarrass themselves or make sure that they like make all the right choices mm-hmm. is just too hard. But just to be able to um, kind of see them wrestle with who they're becoming, um, just encouraging them. And also I've kind of like stepped back where I'm, like I said, more of a coach where I'm just like, hey, I mean, I can, I'm going to make a suggestion. Here's what I think is going to happen. Here's what I think you can do. And they don't always take my advice, but then they learn from it. And I'm just trying to give myself grace to be like, you know, I want you to make these mistakes under my roof because right. once you're outside, once you go to college and, you know, there's still a bit of a protection when you're in college, but once you're out, you're out. And so if you make these mistakes when you're on your own, like, I can't help you. Like, you know what I mean? Not not really, but you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And, you know, we've had several different uh, people that speak about family on the podcast, but typically they're more early childhood. So that's, Mm -hmm. we were super fascinated with bringing you on the show, hoping that maybe you could provide us a little bit of insight as, you know, we have one teenager um, and then we have an eight and a 10 year old in the household. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. how do we navigate that. So you have three teenagers and Mm -hmm. you also have this other really cool project that you do in addition Mm -hmm. to that with families. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Tell us about it. Yeah. So I have a podcast and a business. It's called Build Your Best Family. And what we do is we help families create culture. So what what I've found and what I've I've learned, I've done a lot of reading and the research says that family culture 
um, has more to do with the development of your children than actual like parenting styles. So when I work with families, it's not about like necessarily tips and tricks, but it's about understanding your culture. What are your values? What are impo- your, what's important to you? What, what is it that you want your family to be known for? How do you want to live? What is your mission together? And so from there, then you can start to figure out the how. Then you start to figure out like what choices to make and how to parent um, because you have you have a purpose and a mission and even the end in mind as you're parenting. And so the things that we've done with the kids when they're little may be, may change in every season. Um, you know, how I address them, how I parent them will change what we do to maintain our family's culture will change, but the values and what's important to us stays the same. That's super interesting, this concept of culture. So um, a little bit of background on Chris and I, and I know that you've listened to our podcast a bit, Mm -hmm. but we are in the process of blending families and we're looking to get married in November of 2020 if Uh Hawaii opens back up from (laughs) quarantine. Hope so, we'll see. Uh, But we are in in the short term future getting married. And so we've come to this having two distinct different family Mm -hmm. cultures and figuring out like, what is it that's going to bond us together? So Mm -hmm. can you walk us through how you start working with families and like how you enter into this conversation around culture? Yeah. So one of the first things that we do is we talk about what is it that you want your family to be known for? And so we look at our past, you know, what we experienced growing up, which we tend to sort of mimic those things that we did just because that's the way it's always been done. But what, what is it about our past that we want to bring forward? What is it that we want to do new? What do we want people to think of when, you know, they hear our name? Uh, like, you know, that vision casting process of like, who do we want to be as a family? Oh, and once like, you're, are you talking like, like, do people actually try to, uh, throw out like uh, TV show families as like an example, like this family or that family or whatever. It's like well, an example. So they could. And sometimes they, they have, um, but it's like, but, but that's okay. Cause it's like, okay, so this is uh, what I would say is, well, what is it that you like about that family? What is it that appeals to you about that family? Okay. Why is that your you know, model. And then they'll tell me, well, because they always have fun together or because they always eat dinner together or they always seem like, you know, they argue, but they always get a lot, like they always make up at the end, you know? So what is it that inspires you and what is it that you're looking to, to, you know, take on for your family? That's super interesting. So what are some of the things that you hear from families that they want to be known for just anecdotally? Yeah. So, um, Typically, the first thing a lot of people think of, like, well, we want to be kind, and we want people to, <laughs> you know, you know, all the all the stuff that you're supposed to say. Right. Uh, we want to be kind. We want to be loving. But as you get to talking to people, you'll find that there's other things that they want to be known for. Um, so, for example, like our family, we want to be known for having an open door. We want mm. we want people to know that they can stop by at any time. And so we also want people to know that they're welcome here. And we want people to feel better about themselves when they leave than when they came. Ooh, I like so that. when you start to have these conversations, you start to break down what what are those things, right? And then you can go to the next step and you can say, well, what does that mean for us? Like, what's next? Like, how do we do that? And so for us, if we want to have an open door policy, if we want to have people come to our home, if I want my daughter to have her friends come over any day they want after school, I'm going to have to adjust my grocery budget. Oh, I'm going to have to like have food (laughs) in the house, right? Are you talking to them like living with you? Like anything you want? Like moving on in. Everybody moves in. Come on. We got room. Yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, there's been times when we, um, like my kids know that the answer is going to be yes. If a handful of their friends want to come over after school and the, and the answer is oh. going to be yes, you can raid the pantry because I, we want to have a home where people feel comfortable. We want to have a home that's a safe haven for, for our kids, friends that might be going through a well, rough time. Do you live like a, leave like a tip jar next to the pantry? <laughs> oh my gosh. I wish. I wish. <laughs> Especially with teenagers. No, I I totally can connect with what you're saying. Because when I think back to my childhood and growing up, my mom referred to our house as the Kool-Aid house. Like Hmm. everybody comes in and gathers around the island. And she she felt that it was important. And my dad, that it was better for us to be at home with our friends than being Hmm. somewhere else on the streets, right? Getting into trouble. So I get how that could be like a core value for a family. Yeah. but like I would say, Chris, for him and I, I'm just speaking out loud. One of the things that I know that we prioritize with our boys is like setting really big goals 
and Mm -hmm. like just getting after them, whatever it is, whether it's in savings or for us, like with our podcast or even like financial goals for us as a household or vacations, like we try to be driven as a family. Have you heard that come up before? Oh, for sure. I mean, people, it's, it's interesting because you feel like sometimes you might have like, what's important to you is must be, is important to everybody. Right. But it really isn't. And everybody has sort of like a different like take on it. So where one family may be very goal oriented, it may be like, we want to set up goals for our kids and we want them to achieve them. Other families are like, we want them to set the goals for themselves and we want to support them in it. And so as you get to hear um, and talk to families, you'll find out that they like to reach their goals differently, set their goals differently. Um, You know, like I love some families that I work with, they, they're like, we have these mantras and these mantras are like, um, you know, about expectations, about how we want to show up, about doing hard things, about, you know what I mean? So there's a lot of thought around how people want to live as a family. And so when they come to me and they 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 bring these ideas, we break them down because we also want to know, well, what does that look like to goal set? So if you're big on goals, what does that mean? Do you just have a lot of goals? Do you check in with each other well, yeah, every other month? That- Do you like, yeah. She has that vision board she posted on the wall, that gold vision board. You ever heard of that thing? Because, mm-hmm. What yeah. was that? Oh, it's a family vision board. Yeah, we created a family vision board this year where everybody has a section of it and we all contributed. And in the center, we have things that we're going to accomplish as a family. Like mm-hmm. how many family dinners do we want to have together? Um, how many like one-on-one dates with each kid do we want to be able to do DIY projects, things like that. But on, this, on yeah. the sides are our individual things that we want to accomplish. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's fantastic. Yeah. That definitely connects with us. Yeah. What you're and saying. I love what you were saying about like, how many times do we want to eat dinner? What, you know, together, what is it that we, that it looks like? Because, you know, a lot of people have in their mind what they think their values are. And a lot of the work that we do is based on what we see in organizations and how they create, create culture. So if, you know, if you go into an office, you might see a poster on the wall that has a list of values and those, those are great words, but those tend to be abstract. And so what we like to do too is to help people break them down and be like, okay, so that you you want you say that you want to live connected. What does that mean to you? Well, we want to eat dinner, you know, at least three days a week. All right, well, then that's a, that becomes a family practice. We start to break down those values into practices so that not only do we know how to achieve them, but then we can celebrate them once we have achieved them. Right. And it's those small steps over time that we can then measure that produces the success. And then you can look back and be like, yeah, we really lived out our values. We just didn't say that was important to us, but then didn't have anything to back it up. Yeah, I really like that. It's like, how do you know you've been effective at building a stronger family over the year? Like if it's just like with organizational culture and I'm in a a doctoral program around organizational leadership. And so I think Mm -hmm. of it like that. You have to set goals and know that you're actually working towards them, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, super interesting. So you also have a podcast. Mm -hmm. What is your podcast name? So the podcast name is called Build Your Best Family as well. And so what we do is we... We talk about my husband and I, we, he talks about his experience in the workplace and what culture is like and how they build culture. We talk about leadership. We talk about, um, you know, goal setting and planning. We talk about family meetings. We talk about all the components that make an organization strong and we help families take those principles and use them in their home. So we'll do, um, podcasts occasionally together. And then we rotate in interviews with, um, people who are creating culture. Like we've interviewed someone who was a Navy SEAL and how they've created culture. We're, um, interviewing people that have written books about connection with their family, conversations with their family, how to grow, you know, strong families. Um, but we don't limit it to that. We limit it to people that are successful in the area they're in. So we can examine the principles that we're using, they're using and apply those to families. That's great. Um, you said we, that was your husband, Carl, you guys do the podcast Mm -hmm. together. Yep. Oh, that's great. You guys do it from the same place or you guys remotely when you do it? So we do it from the same place. We do it occasionally. We started out trying to do it much, much more often together. But since he works um, right, full time right. outside of the house, I was like, how hey, about we just do it once a month together? <laughs> okay. So, so you release it once a month? Well, it's a weekly podcast. Oh, and so okay. it's mixed in with interviews. So we'll kind of do like a back and forth. 
Oh, I see. Because when Christine and I started doing it, Christine was traveling for work a lot too, and we're trying mm-hmm. to do the same thing, keep it going, and mm-hmm. um, we're trying to figure out a way to to do, do it, remo- it remotely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I yeah. feel for you because we we skipped it like a week or two. We skipped, and I felt so bad about it. So I doubled <laughs> down and started doing extra episodes the following week. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, sometimes what you have to do. Yeah. So you mentioned Carl and that mm-hmm. he joins you, and you talk about mm-hmm. culture. Now, what's his mm-hmm. background? So he works in finance. So he works for a bank and he's been in finance, yeah, his whole entire career. And so he's had a number of different positions. He's um, been with several different companies, but he does have, I think he's been with this company for almost 17, 18 years now in different departments. And so he's seen like different departments, how they work, why they work, what's not working about them. And so as you know, you stay in a company that long and you can kind of move from position to position, you can really get a sense for, for, um, what it takes to really be successful in business. That's amazing. And so bringing all of that culture work into, and the, both of your experiences into your mm-hmm. own home, um, and you, it sounds like you've been doing this culture work internally as well as externally. Mm-hmm. What would be your hope that as your children become adults and start their own lives and families, what would Mm -hmm. be your hope that they're able to say about what their childhood was like growing up as a result of this work? Well, I would love for them to know that they were a part of something bigger than themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important for them to know now that as they're in this home, but also when they leave, um, it's important for them to know now because they have something that anchors them and keeps them connected both to us and to a common purpose. Mm-hmm. I know that their um, their values uh, may change as they get older. Not necessarily change, but if they, if they have their own family and they have a spouse, they may decide on a different set of values, a different combination, you know, taking from both sides what works for them together as a family. They may have their own individual ones and then bring them together as a family. So I want them to know that they're a part of something now and that they're going to be a part of something in the future. Um, you know, as my kids get older and they start to date, uh, lucky I haven't had much of that yet. (laughs) Um, but I'm hoping that they understand like what would be a cultural fit for our family. I mean, they don't, you don't have to be exactly like our family, but if there's things that we know that we know to the core that are important to us, we're going to look for those in other people. Um, we're also going to say, Hey, like my family loves games. So if like you're, if you never want to be around people, that's probably not going to work for us. Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't mean that in a negative way, but I hope that they have the tools to make really good decisions. And they're not just, um, spending time with people for the sake of spending time with people. And like maybe hoping that that initial attraction translates into something that they kind of say, this is what I'm known for. This is what we're known for. This is what I love to do. This is, these are the kind of people I love to be around. Um, and I certainly want them to understand the impact and the influence they can have on other people by knowing what it is that they stand for. And, being able to come alongside people and what they stand for. Um, I have a quick question here about uh, kids as they get older. Your kids are, uh, uh, what's your oldest uh, kid's name, uh, age again? She's 17. 17. So so mm-hmm. not quite graduated high school yet. But mm-hmm. uh, when they start to graduate high school and a little bit beyond that, at what age do you feel is kind of like the, what are you, you looking at me that guy, Christine? I'm, I'm, I'm laughing at him because this is his question of every every parent is, when do you kick him out of the nest? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, so, um, well, I've talked about this with my, with my daughters. So because we live so close to New York City, uh, you know, I have a couple of friends whose daughters have graduated and they've come home and they've lived at home and they've commuted into the city because it is quite expensive to live in the city. Oh, yeah. And so... I, I do to a certain degree feel as though if you're if you're home but you're busting your butt because you're saving money for your house so that you don't have to like finance the whole thing like I'm all on board with that um, I, I guess for me it would be a question of how much how much responsibility are you taking for your own life right and if living here and still being you know in under the same roof is helping you to to lay a foundation for your future then I'm all for that I'm not in a rush to you know, for them to get out of the house, it'll just be, I think it'll just be, be dependent upon like the life stage and where they're at and what's going on. You know, I mean, we're, 
COVID, I know so many people whose children came home. Right. <laughs> so oh, really? Like, they're like, other- I'm not going to sit at home in my apartment by myself in quarantine when I could come home and like be with my family. Right. And so um, I know people that are secretly thrilled that they're that they <laughs> their kids are home. <laughs> really? Don't yeah. tell anybody. <laughs> Word, word got out. Yeah. yeah. Well, Chris and I have yeah. had frequent conversations about this because I, my parents allowed me to live at home for as long as I wanted to, but the expectation mm-hmm. was that I would maintain above a 3.0 in college and mm-hmm. I would have a job mm-hmm. and that I could live at home for free, but I was in, in charge of all of my other expenses like mm-hmm. car insurance, car, mm-hmm. um, even tuition. And mm-hmm. so um, I think that's one of the things that we talk about is we're we're trying to wrestle through you know, I have a 15 year old mm-hmm. and again, we've got the, some time, right? We have the yeah. eight and the 10 year old, but what's our philosophy going to be around that? But then again, how are we raising kids that want mm-hmm. to be independent when they get yeah. that ability? And it's the problem too, is I don't know if the same problem is there is here is a lot of kids. Um, they will not want to leave because, Oh, it's free rent and free food. And mom does my laundry, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. I'm driving a Porsche, you know? So <laughs> All, I can't really afford a rent right now because I got the Porsche payment. So <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, we we definitely have been giving our kids responsibilities. Like we, you know, as they get older, they're definitely expected to do chores to chip in in the house. Like it's not a negotiable. Like you are part of this family. You are again back to culture. Like we can't do this without you. Like so mm-hmm. we'll host a party or we'll have their friends over. And I'm like, not for nothing, but we can't do this without everybody's help. So I, like I need that. you to chip in. I need you like to be. We can't we can't do the things we do if we're all not on the same team. And one of the things that we've done with our kids is um, at different stages of their development, we've given them money to budget. And Mm -hmm. so like, for example, once you hit 13 in our house, we give you, we set up a checking account and we give you all the money that we would normally spend on you in a year. And it's up to you to manage it. Yeah. So they will go. How do you get to mathematically figure that out? That whole number? Well, for a long time, when after I became a stay-at-home mom, we really ha- kept a tight budget. So uh-huh. I had an idea of like what money was going out where. So we had done that for a long time, and so I had a sense of like, okay, it's this is this is the amount of money we want to spend on you for clothing. This is the mon- amount of money that we would probably give you to go out with your friends. You know, this is the money that we would. Um, I, I give them money also to take me to lunch once a month because I'm teaching them to like <laughs> take budget you to money. Lunch? Yes. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we started when when the kids were when my oldest was in second grade. I started to take my kids out for one on one lunch dates. I would go pick them up from school because I was finding that three kids all wanting my attention. It was like it was extremely difficult. None of them were getting the one on one attention that they wanted, and so I started doing these lunch dates with them. And then at a certain point, I was like, okay, I'm going to give you seventeen dollars a month, and that's you know, I, don't, I know it's probably similar in California. It's enough to get lunch, but it's enough, not enough to go crazy. So like right. you can take me like one month we can go out for sushi, but then the next month we've got to go out for pizza. But I want them to make that decision because they're managing that $17. Oh, so, I like that. So as they got older, I started giving them more responsibility. So that's why that lunch date's in there. Well, I love um, that you that you said the age that you did that because our chickadees are like fiending to get some financial flexibility. So yeah, my 10-year-old mm-hmm. wants a checking account <laughs> <Yeah>. already. <laughs> <laughs> but we are trying out with a 15-year-old a children's debit card, but it uh-huh. has some parental controls on it. But I'm yeah. getting them started a little bit later in life on that. So this is very intriguing. Yeah. And so what they have to do is I, I'm encouraging them to go to each month, go to the, go to the ATM, take out the money that you would need for that month and put it in cash envelopes. So you get to decide, like, do you want to go to Starbucks once and get like a, a large Frappuccino and a croissant? Or do you want to go, you know, once a week, you know, and get a small drink? just so that you can be with your friends. So they start to see, oh, wow, I've got to make decisions. I just can't have, you know, an endless pot of money to spend time with my friends. Yeah, um, I know. And a lot, a lot of kids, I said a lot of kids who do live at home that I've ran in my experience, grow, even growing up, they, like I said, they would be a parent who would just spoil them. And then it gets really hard when it becomes, I have a coworker who's, uh, 
he, he paid for their, his daughter's car even after he told – they, they made the decision. Him and his, his daughter's wife said, okay, after you get a job, you're paying the payments. And <laughs> but, two yeah. years later, who's still paying the payments? Not <laughs> oh, her. Oh, gosh. Right. <laughs> you know? But it's you're right that it's setting them up for success early, but like calculated risk. I, I applaud you for the way that you approach it um, with the checking accounts starting mm-hmm. from a young, young age because it does teach – fiscal conservatism and it holds them accountable yeah Um, i don't even i'm right there yet but i'm you know i'm taking that first step of the debit card for for a 15 year old yeah well even before 13 i said okay i'm gonna give them money to manage for their clothing because that's the thing that can just get crazy and so like when my my son was my youngest um he just became well, no, he just turned 13. So it's really the summer before their freshman year. So like I will give him every four months, I will give him a certain amount of money for clothing and he gets to choose how he spends it. So he's not getting like the big chunk of money. He's getting, you know, this is this is your envelope. But when he was like maybe, you know, like 10, I would keep the envelope. We would go to the store and that then he would physically see, okay, the, there's no more money left in the envelope. We're done shopping or yeah. here you have enough money to do this. So like I was still allowing them to budget based on their ability, but I would keep the money, but it would be in an envelope and they would know where it was and they would know that that's a finite amount of money. And did, so it's did, did just he, progressed. Do you think that that caused them to be more frugal with their spending choices? Oh my gosh. As soon as, I mean, honestly, the reason why I started it was because I didn't know how to make decisions about what I should spend on and who, you know, one, I had first, the first child, I was like, oh my gosh, I get to give them all the things my parents couldn't give me. And then when I had the second, I'm like, "Mm." and then when I had third, I'm like, okay, this is a little out of control. So (laughs) I needed to, I needed to create parameters for me to make decisions too. And so as I would teach them how to spend money, what was happening is, is they got, they became really, really thoughtful about how they spent their money. Um, Even one point, my daughters when they were very young um we went to target and they hatched a plan they were like okay so we don't really know like they would take much much longer to make you know consumer choices but they would go i don't have enough money for that and then i don't know how they started it but one of them went to the other and was like you know i don't have enough money for this would you like to pay half and we would share it oh and so, okay. so they started seeing like well we can get what we want but we have to like come up with a solution and even when now um as we over the years as we've cleaned out their rooms you know we spring clean and get rid of stuff they're like oh oh remember this i had to have this and now i'm getting rid of it and so they buy less now even because they know how temporary it is they have firsthand experience with the fact that like maybe i don't need all this stuff which okay, has been a fun surprise. You're blowing my mind right now, Kimberly, because <laughs> I I have a, an older sister. She's five years older than me, named Kimberly, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and there's four girls in our household. But fighting over clothing was like, it was like street fighting. Like, don't oh, yeah. wear my shirt. <laughs> the biggest fight my older sister and I ever had was over... She wanted to wear my Birkenstocks, but they were on mm-hmm. my feet. So I told her, let me wear yours because I'm about to walk out the door. Biggest fight ever. So oh what you're gosh. saying, like this is, friends, if you're listening right now to the podcast <laughs> and you want to know how to raise girls right, have them learn how to invest in clothing together yes. so that it's shared. Because but I don't yes. think you guys should share it, though. You, you girls don't share for clothing very yes, well. Yes, we do. Really? Yes. You my well, girls do. Not all the time. I mean, they have favorites, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you're going in to purchase something together, then you know, like, we're going to have to discuss this and it's going to have to be equal sharing. Mm -hmm. I think that that's like a whole different level of building a relationship and like relationship skills for the future, (laughs) teaching girls how to share clothes. So like write a book about that. Seriously, Kimberly, because that's genius. I should. We've had some, I've seen some knockout drag down fights here. Typically over the clothes, I have my, me and my husband still have like these random t-shirts from college, you know, like, and so they've like, they've taken them all. And they fight over those because nobody bought them, right? Oh. Mom and dad's, and I'm going to wear it today, and it belongs. It's a freebie. It's free. In my room, right? And I'm like, oh my gosh, guys! It is a T-shirt from 1996. Are you kidding me? Way back, way back in the day. My goodness. I know. Funny. <laughs> well, this has been super interesting, and I love what you talked about with you know building a family culture and finding out what it is that drives you. And I think that for me, that really uh, resounds with me because it's kind of a, I wouldn't say simplistic formula, but it's easy 
to connect with, like mm-hmm. asking, what do we want to be known for? Mm-hmm. Um, what's your family brand, basically? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so where can our friends, our listeners find you on social media and where th- can they find your podcast? So my, my podcast is on buildyourbestfamily.com. I also write at KimberlyAmici.com. That's more of like a smattering of all the different things I'm involved in. I love to hang out on Instagram and that's at buildyourbestfamily and also at KimberlyAmici. And if you go to either one of my websites, you can find um, a, a download sheet about how to get the discussion going about what you want your family to be known for. And um, I'll give you a link that you can go to, and it'll even have um, a discussion sheet that you can get your kids involved because kids, even at a very young age, understand brand, understand what it is that we're known for. They can tell you, you know, throw a family name out there and they can tell you exactly what they think of when it, when they think of their, those people. Um, and so getting the kids involved in that is, is really exciting. Yeah, that sounds really amazing. And I love this concept. And I think that this is something that Chris and I are going to bring back with our boys and talk deeper about. Uh, But I do have one final question for you. Mm -hmm. As you are a parent of teenagers, and it sounds like you're pretty active in social media. Mm -hmm. Do you TikTok? I don't. (laughs) I've been on the fence. I think it's something that I would really, really like. I mean, I grew up I mean, I take a hip hop class. They hate, they never want to see me dance though. I know, I know, I know. I grew up listening to club music out on Long Island. Yes. Like for sure, for sure. I want to be on there, but I, I've, I've kind of stayed off because it is where their friends are. And, um, they already have quite a number of friends that, uh, look at my Instagram posts and it, it, it becomes lunch table conversation, the things that I'm posting online. And so I can't imagine what would happen if I was on TikTok. Well, they just can't handle it because Kimberly, with your hip hop moves, you'd be, you'd be TikTok famous in a heartbeat. And so um, you're just, you know, you're preserving their popularity because, you know, nobody wants mom to have more followers than them. So way to take one for the team. Yeah, of course, of course. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Kimberly. We uh, wish you all of the best of luck with what you're doing with families. It is really helping families to not just stick together, but to really thrive. And so for that, we thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Our pleasure. Thanks, Kim. With so many podcasts out in the world, you have a plethora of options. Take a chance with Too Many Captains, a movie podcast. Mixing comedy with an academic look at film and Hollywood culture, this podcast is perfect for those looking for a fresh perspective. From deep dives into classic films, to debates on digital streaming versus physical media, and film discussions based on randomly chosen topics in our What Are We Talking About segments, there's something to satisfy all your movie podcast cravings. So if you're feeling lucky or feel the need for speed, grab your shaken martini or some fava beans and a nice Chianti and subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play. For more content, visit amoviepodcast.com. Find us on Instagram at Too Many Captains Productions and on Twitter at It's a Film Podcast. Too Many Captains, the jolliest bunch of podcasters this side of the nuthouse. So I really loved that interview. I loved that she had a focus more on like preteens and teenagers because I think it aligns more with where we're at and really focusing on like defining what it is that your family stands for. That's right. Yeah, she does. Uh, I really appreciate her coming on the show. Yeah. And so I was wondering, like, I've been kind of working through this in my head. Like, what is it that we stand for as a family? Like, what would you say? I you know, I don't know. Probably... Um I would say making every make sure everybody's on the same page. <laughs> you know, I think it's probably everyone says that too. You know, making sure everybody gets along, that we're not fighting. That I know we butt heads a lot on ideas, and and everybody comes from different backgrounds. So mm-hmm. we're trying to blend those all together, and it makes it very hard because in our situation, it's different than most others. Oh, well, actually, it's different than mostly like the common basic basic family dynamic that you think of when you think of mom, dad two kids that were born and raised together right born yeah. and raised together same house same roof they grew up in the same town same kids same friends so this is different for us because you come from a different part of the country and i come from a different part of the country and we both or the have state 
we'll stay. Well, I'm, I'm trying to make it dramatic here, okay? <laughs> so, and then my kids, um, you know, they were with me, but my ex-wife and I split up. So we both share different sides, um, you know, different custody things where she has a she has them certain days of the week and I have them certain days of the week. And then um, you and Ezekiel, you guys share custody both. I mean, you and your ex-husband. Mm-hmm. share custody with Ezekiel separate times of the week. Right. So we all have these different dynamics, all trying to be pulled together as one unit. It feels like almost like a classroom. Right. Sometimes it does. But I would say that one of the things that I've been reflecting on about this interview and specifically our family, because we just did come out of vacation, is that one of the things that you and I have in common is helping our kids learn how to tackle hard things without melting down because you and I have both overcome significant adversity, overcome like being knocked down and really putting in the hard work to build this beautiful life for ourselves that we're able to blend together. And I think like as a parent more than anything, what I want to see is my child, our children to be able to face difficult situations and not to see them as so overwhelming that they give up. Like I want them to be resilient. Yeah, I guess I can see what you're saying. Please elaborate. Oh, well, I, you know, we hear about in the media about kids being so entitled and wanting everything handed to them. Oh, I hate those, by the way. And not, yeah, right. And not working for anything. And I think that those are the worst, man. One of the things that we're trying to model for our kids through, you know, chores and contributing to the family and really calling them out when their attitude is really off is this concept of we're all in this together and it's going to take hard work to make it work and we have to be willing to put in that hard work. Yeah, we're all on the same team here. And our goal is to um, you know, be together and be loving and to be a family and actually grow and teach the kids that uh, responsibility means something. It's not just a word. And that uh, you are all on the same team to help out. And I think learning to fight fair is a big lesson that all of us are trying to learn because we get triggered, we get emotional, the kids get triggered and emotional and they lash out at each other or you and I have a disagreement and it's it takes a lot of discipline to not hurt each other in the midst of a disagreement. And I think that that's one of the other things is like learning how to fight fair and to like you said remember we're on the same team. That's right. That's right. Well, this last week, by the way, we are on vacation week. I know. Can you hear it in our voices? Vacation mode. We're like dragging here on vacation <laughs> week because um, this whole last week I've been on vacation and we've both been on vacation and we've been out of town. We got back into town, what, a day ago? Last night. Last? No, it wasn't last night. Yes, it was. Was it last night? Day before. Day before. See, we're on vacation <laughs> mode. We don't even know what day it is anymore. All I know is that next week, I got to go back to work. By the time this the drops. here. Yeah, we're going back to work, starting fresh all over again. But we have a fantastic story of our vacation, and we're going to share with you on a special, special episode that we're going to create. As soon as we're done making this one, we're going to create a very special episode, breaking all it down. Right. And I think that's where we're going to be able to share a little bit more of the memories and go a little bit more in depth as to like what we did and and how we moved through that week. And I I had so much fun. And I'll talk about that in the next episode because I don't want to give it all away here. But it's hot tease for you all. Hot tease. And we want to say thank you for listening and thank everybody for listening. And if you would like to go check out more about The Chris and Christine Show, you can go to www.chrisandchristineshow.com. That is chrisandchristineshow.com with a K. And if you want to see our very special YouTube video I put up just an hour ago (laughs) of the trip, of the vacation, it is on the page, right on there, front page, right down there where the YouTube videos are at. You will see it. Yep, absolutely. And so uh, we thank you for sticking with us this week. And we hope you got a lot out of this wonderful interview that we had. We can't wait for you to hear what's coming up in our special bonus episode. See you there. Remember this week that life is too short to wake up in the morning with regret. So love the people who treat you right. Forget about the ones who don't and believe that everything happens for a reason. If you get a chance, take it. If it changes your life, let it. Nobody said that it would be easy. They just promised it would be worth it. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Chris. And I'm Christine. And until next week, keep moving forward.